crofting and corncrakes. Welcome, my name is Jeanette Sutherland and today I will be speaking to Sheila Parlane of RSPB Scotland about one of the Highlands most famous but most elusive birds, the corncrake. Hi Sheila, how are you today? Hello Jeanette, I am fine, thank you. Excellent, well thank you so much for joining us today. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your role? I am the Corncrake Project Officer for the RSPB on the Isle of Skye and my role is essentially to promote the survival of Skye corncrakes in whatever way we can. Excellent, so we'll be looking forward to hearing about some of these initiatives and ways that you're supporting this bird on the island. So Sheila, one of the things that we've worked together with has been the Skye Crofting and Corncrake Partnership. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? The partnership has been working for over 10 years now and I think has been really effective in bringing together the conservation angle on corncrakes along with the crofting and, and business side to things that is so important. Well, in, in some ways it's not so important, it's absolutely key to the survival of corncrakes. By pooling resources, we can do so much more to promote their uh, success on the island. And from a corncrake's point of view, what kind of habitats are the crofters and the farmers in Sky creating that they like? Corncrakes are birds of agriculture. They rely on agriculture in so many ways to, for their nesting habitat, to raise their chicks and to survive the summer when they're here on, on the island. And crofters with the relatively low intensity agricultural mm-hmm. activities particularly the, the kind of beef cattle production where, you know, grass will be allowed to grow in the summer and it will be cut for, for winter feed. The lack of intensity is a real benefit to corncrakes because, for example, in Sky, most people would only do one cut of silage, whereas if there was many cuts, then that would be very bad for the corncrakes, I take it. Corncrakes don't really need very much in that uh, the, the first thing they need is some long vegetation to hide in when they come back from their migration. That's in about late April, early May. So anything and anything that's growing tall enough for a corncrake to hide in is really important for it. But the, where they really want to be is in the hay and silage meadows. So if multiple cuts of the hay and silage are being taken, the chance of taking out the corncrakes' nests and the corncrakes themselves is really quite high. So ideally, well, for example, on the Isle of Skye, generally, as you say, there's only one cut of silage taken. So the corncrakes actually have a chance to complete their breeding cycle, produce chicks. And so everything is up and mobile by the time the, the harvest is taken in. That's fantastic. So the corncrakes, they, they arrive, like you said, late February, March, and then they, they raise chicks. And then those chicks, do they they fly back to Africa maybe in August, July? Oh, so the corncrakes actually, they arrive late April, early May. They raise their chicks. They have two broods, actually. And it's, it's, they're a very difficult species in some ways in that in order to replace themselves they actually need to produce a lot of chicks so ideally they're having two broods a year uh the first brood will be hatched and fledged by the end of july and yes those chicks or fledglings head off to africa then but there's likely to be a second brood which will be in the in the same fields the silage meadows until it could be into august and i suppose that's where concrete friendly mowing comes in which again the crofters are you know, very supportive of. Great. So do you want to explain what corncrake friendly mowing is? So yes, corncrake friendly mowing is basically putting normal 
mowing on its head and instead of starting on the outside of the field and putting rings around it and then finishing the cut you would start in the middle of the field and so your the idea is that you don't create any open space that the corn crate can escape the mower can run away from the mower but stay in long grass so there's lots of different approaches to that but you know that that is the the key one if they do have to break cover then all the predators of the day that are waiting when you start mowing uh, will are as likely to take a corn crake or a chick. So okay. what corn crakes need to do is stay in the vegetation to protect themselves from predation. But interestingly, if there was no hay or silage made and the fields were grazed all the time, that would be no use for corn crakes at all. So it's this we're having to strike this balance between the fields being used to create a crop over the, the summertime but making it that it's as easy for the, the corn crakes to keep their reproduction level up in those fields because if it was just like hard grazed the whole season they'd have no cover at all to hide in. No they wouldn't uh, yes it, it, and it's, it's the inby that they really need which I suppose traditionally was where the animals would have been kept off the inby in the summer and that's what uh, you know just satisfied the needs of the corn crakes but you're right that it is a compromise for the crofters that they really if they're taking their animals off the in by in the summer then um they and allowing that to to grow instead they're losing some grazing in that point from that point of view if they're trying to create winter fodder then you know there's that benefit too it's not a straightforward equation though as i think we all know that sometimes um producing your own Winter fodder can be as expensive as shipping it in from other places and probably grazing the in-by keeps, well, your lambs, for example, are likely to put on more weight than if they're out in the hill. We've talked before about how corn crakes really need active crofting and so we've talked so far about the this hay and the silage fields that are important for them to have cover and to raise their chicks in over the winter time but obviously what the the corn creek chicks themselves they eat quite a lot of insects when they're young don't they oh it's very important part of their diet when they're small is the the insect insect diet and that is in the grasslands basically that's they'll find everything they need in the grasslands or nettle beds or you know summer vegetation the the corn creeks really they need something growing in the summer ideally you know from the fertile land and the inby but so they don't like it if it's or they can't survive if it's super super grazed and there's nothing growing but equally they don't like it if it is ungrazed completely and it's thick matted grass no so it's an it's an interesting one that because Croft abandonment is a real issue and it's something that concerns a lot of people when it comes to uh, the human population retention. If a lot of crofts are unworked and the grasslands become too thick and the grass gets thatched, then um, that doesn't help the corn crake population either, does it? No, it doesn't at all. Corn crakes uh, basically can't run through the grasses if it's, if it's rank and matted, as you say. Uh, one of the agri-environment measures in the past has been to try and encourage the keeping of cattle on small units. Why are cattle helpful for corn creeks on, in the highlands? There's probably two sides to this. And one is that if you have cattle, there's a good chance you need to produce some winter feed. So you're allowing you know, the, the meadows, as we discussed, um, to grow in the summer. But the second one is the way cattle graze. They, you, you get a... a a variety in the 
structure or the height of the vegetation that's left after cattle grazing. They don't just take it all down to, to the bare minimum. And they trample the stuff they don't eat. They manure it much, you know, with, yeah, so they're putting fertility back into the soil. But basically, they're they're keeping the, eco- the ecological system going, basically, to put something back into the land so that there's fresh growth for the next year. And I suppose, ideally, the manuring from the cattle will be a hatching place for all the insects that the corn crakes possibly want to eat as well. Yes, there's a real um, sort of, the cattle are important for the the nutrient cycling and the healthy invertebrate food webs that the the corn crakes are relying on. On a day-to-day basis this year, you've uh, been involved in a project called Corn Crake Calling. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, definitely. That's um, been really a, a big thing for us because the, we were very fortunate to gain funding from the Heritage Lottery Fund for a four-year project. And what uh, that's allowed us to do is run the Corncrete Calling Project, which uh, it can fund crofters who are doing uh, able to do some management for corn crakes. That scheme is called the Corn Creek Initiative, and it f- will uh, provide funding for cor- for crofters who can delay their mowing and or uh, and or cut corn creek friendly to promote the chances of corn creeks. Fantastic! So when the when the corn creeks first arrive uh, on the island, the first thing that crofters and farmers can do is let you know if they're hearing them. Mm-hmm. That's right. That makes it much easier for me <laughs> and and then when you get reports what what next do you go off and do Sheila if I get a report of a corn crake I will try to contact the local crofters in the area just to let them know that there is a bird in the area because quite often people won't know uh, with the double glazing and televisions and so forth <laughs> that people aren't hearing them quite the way they used to so if I can let a crofter know that there is a corn creek in the area and ask them if it's possible for them to perhaps delay their mowing or cut corn creek friendly and that there's some funding available to support that, that's that would be the, the first thing I'll do. That's great. And then another key part of your job is to actually um, count the corn creeks, um, the, the population. How do you go about doing that? Ah, well, that that is uh, one of the delights of summer in that my job when I'm counting the corn creek starts at midnight. <laughs> and basically, I travel through all of the possible corn creek habitat. So that's basically all the crofting townships in North Sky listening for corn creeks. It's, it's not quite as simple as that in that every hundred meters or so you have to stop. If you're driving, you have to stop the car stop and listen for a couple of minutes to see if you're hearing anything and on a still night you could hear a corn creek at you know a kilometer away sometimes a mile away so I basically systematically travel through all the townships from the roads I I don't go onto people's land to do this I travel along the tracks and the roads listening for corn creeks if if I find a corn creek that's I'll get in touch with the local crofters or the contractors just to let them know that there's one in the area and would they be interested or able to take part in the corn creek initiative. And then you're able to have an idea of how the corn creek population is faring each year. That's right. Well, all over Scotland or all over the corn creek areas in Scotland we carry out the survey in the same way so it's also set it's not just between midnight and 3 a.m we have to uh, do this the official survey where we 
can compare figures is the 20th of May until the 10th of July and we must visit each area at least twice. So we've, we're all doing the same thing all over the islands and the west coast uh, here and we get a, a figure each year. We So it's not an absolute count, it's a comparative count we'll have mm-hmm. each year because we do, we do it in exactly the same way. No, that's that's fantastic. Obviously, there's a. It's very unclear where a lot of the the policy is going. But another key part of the Sky Corn Creek Partnership is helping crofters and farmers who want to take part in a government agri environment schemes that can benefit crofters. And they're slightly different from your ones because they're sort of a five year commitment. Um, do you want to talk a bit about how your work can help uh, with applications for these schemes when they're open? Again, this is back to the the partnership, the Sky Crofting and Corncrake Partnership. That together we can we what we can add to the applications to these schemes is we can provide the information of where the corncrakes are and what the habitat could ideally be like. Our our part of that partnership might be to help crofters maintain or create new habitat for corncrakes. I think you have already featured in a FAS publication that we did a video and we'll share the link on this podcast about it of corncrake cover areas being created on Sky, which ends up being quite a beautiful process in the end because you've often got a lot of wildflowers and metals and everything. But in its early days, it looks quite crude. Do you want to explain how what's the best method you found in Sky for creating these early cover areas that help attract the birds in when they first uh, arrive? Yes, again, that's a nice way to put it. It's quite crude, Jeanette. It generally starts with a very thick layer of manure or smelly old silage bales. There's nothing very romantic about that, but it's very, very fertile. So it is great if you are aiming for nettles that you can put your nettle rhizome into that and you will get a, a beautiful crop of nettles. But it's it's also very good for lots of other plants that are really good for early growth. What the early growth really relies on is a lot of fertility and that's where the manure or the old silage bales comes in. So they're not wasted products. You know, these are these are very valuable. Excellent. So we're, that- we're talking about <laughs> circular economies to benefit the corn creeks on the farm. <laughs> yes. the, the, the other thing about using the manure, the silage bales, is that if you can create quite a large area, that's better rather than just tiny little patches. Anything you can do is going to be of some benefit to the corn creeks. And you've mentioned predation. So is that why bigger cover areas are better? Because it gives the corn creeks a, a bigger area to hide from predators such as crows or foxes? That's a very good point, Jeanette, yes. If it's a small area that a corn creek's having, having to hide in, then it's very easy for a predator to basically quarter that and find anything that's inside of it. So it's giving the corn creeks a much better chance if it's a bigger area. And um, I have had clients in the past who've really objected to the concept of planting nettles, which they consider a weed. But that's not um, the be all and end all of corncrete cover, though a weed is just a plant in the wrong place, as they all say. Um, <laughs> but there can be quite, if you know, if aesthetics are important, there can be quite a lot of uh, attractive plants that people use for corncrete cover, like the, the yellow irises. And if you were if you were doing your dream corncrete cover, what would you what other types of plants apart from nettles would you think about incorporating? Meadow sweet is another very good one. I don't know how if that's classed as a weed, <laughs> uh, but it's it's a it's a very useful one because it keeps its structure over the winter. Oh, and cow parsley is is a, a very good one. 
as you say, the flag iris with its beautiful yellow flowers, that, although I think in some areas that, that might be classed as a weed too. Dockins do survive in early cover, but it's not something I ever aim for because they're very difficult to control once they, mm-hmm. they go for. Another one might be comfrey and uh, rhubarb, you know, things oh, that so start growing it, early. So you can have a wee bit of a food crop as well. <laughs> you could, absolutely. And in the past, because corncrakes aren't only biodiversity that we can help with these kind of measures, so in the past, uh, to help the pollinators, we've included species like um, uh, knapweed and red clover to to help the pollinators. Ideal plants, really, for from everybody's point of view, the, the clovers, I would say, and corncrakes certainly. You know, once they start growing in the in the fields, corncrakes will be using those areas. And as you say, the the kind of food chain aspect of it that these plants support a lot of of um, invertebrates and wildlife, and so corncrakes are going to have some kind of knock on benefits from that. Uh, the clovers, of course, are really important for soil health and fertility in that they trap nitrogen, which is a great is one of the key elements that promote growth. So if you have clovers in your sward, it's going to improve the, the baseline soil as well. Oh, that's fantastic. And some of the work we did early on was to get a lot of soil testing done because there was a, a concern that the pH in some of the meadow fields had had fallen compared to the past, and that was making it harder for plants like clover to to get established and things like that. So it's uh, as with all things in uh, crofting and farming, it's never quite as straightforward or lacking complexity as we'd maybe like. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, that again, as you say, we managed to do get the soils tested early on, and again through the partnership, we managed to do that at a you know a large scale. Without the partnership, I think that would have been a much harder thing to achieve. Yeah, what we found was that about eighty percent of the crofts were actually with low pH. Now that means that it's uh, the soil is getting a little bit too acidic for for grassland growth. Yeah, and I think it's it is interesting because it comes back to the active part of it because a lot of the time, um, certainly people will say that there was a lot more regular, uh, but maybe small quantities of lime applied a lot more regularly. And so yeah. that's something that's maybe with time has fallen away. And that's something that, although nobody was ever using lime to help the corn creeks, certainly that's maybe not helped the corn creeks as that practice has become a, a less regular. I would agree with that. I think, I mean, fertile soils are the key to producing the right habitat for corn crakes. And although, as, as you say, you're not going to necessarily uh, produce this fertility just for your corn crakes, if if you have a higher pH and fertile soils, you'll have a higher worm count, which means your soil condition is going to be in far better state for grass growth or invertebrates or whatever your aim is it will improve things for everyone yeah so i think this is one of the things that why the partnership has been so important because in so many situations and uh, low intensity uh, situations you can't really uh, easily separate what is uh, agriculture and what is the environment because they're so enmeshed together uh, yeah, exactly. And as I think you touched on earlier, the crofting in or farming on the Isle of Skye and Outer Hebrides is a very wildlife friendly activity. So it's environmental as well as agricultural. So, Sheila, if you won the lottery and you were given like endless funds to help the corn creeks, what would be like the top three things you would think of doing? 
think the first thing I would do would be to ask all the crofters in North Sky to pay and cover the costs of this to delay their mowing until August at least and to cut in a concrete friendly manner. And I say that we need to, to cover the cost of that because there is a cost to crofters in that your silage will not be of the same quality if you cut it in August and it is extra time and effort and skill to cut concrete friendly. So that would be my top thing. The second one would be to buy an, a large quantity of lime and bring the pH up to towards six on all of the MBI. And the third one would be to ensure that uh, fertility in the way of farmland manures or organic manures can go back into the soils. That's excellent. So what we're one, the genie could grant these wishes. What we'd be looking for is for healthy soils that can then support the growth and also the support for the crofters and farmers to manage that growth that allows the corn cakes to make it back to uh, Africa safely. I think those would be my three wishes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we're recording this in early August. How long does it take the corn crakes to fly back to Africa? Like it's one of these facts that you kind of know, but is still like just mind blowing. <laughs> it does. They they could take up to two months to get back to Africa. Just we think they fly at night, so they're coming down into to hide during the day and only flying at night. Um, they have various hazards on the, the way south as well, in that there's quite a lot of hunting around the Mediterranean countries. There's mist netting. There's the Sahara to cross. So Goodness they me. have they have a lot of trouble. Once they've crossed the Sahara, they stop in sort of northern Nigeria for a few weeks, and then they'll finally get to their winter destination in the Congo Basin, where they'll only spend a few weeks and then start returning. That's me. And so and then so it's the like, say, the chicks that were born in uh, the summer, uh, spring, summer of 2021, they'll be uh, uh, en route now and then they'll come back in the spring of 2022, we hope. And then that's when they'll have their first brood. That's it. Yes, ideally. I'd say they have a lot of trouble with migration in that out of every five birds that leave Scotland, only two will make it back next year. Goodness. So that's why it's so important that we, are, we really try and help boost the numbers because they do have they do have such a high have such high losses. We need as many to be leaving from Scotland as possible. We do. And because they're breeding here, we need to do, well, ideally as much as we possibly can to make that breeding successful. Thank you very much for all your time, Sheila. And I'm only sad that I can't grant you the three genie wishes, but we <laughs> hope that we'll keep working together ourselves and the crofters and farmers in Sky, so that we can keep this unique, slightly elusive bird as part of our um, island's population. Thank you very well, much. Thank you very much. Thank you.